With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This content may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion advised. But I saw something human-sized and dark moving through the woods slow and pausing every once in a while like me. I started to fall back asleep when I heard what sounded like hesitant footsteps on the stairs. He had this manic, hateful look about him. A total predator he was. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you four true tales that will terrify and horrify. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show hearing from Reddit user BossyBoots801, featuring voice work by Danuta Marie, and we realize someone or something is out in the woods. I grew up out in the wooded county in Illinois, on a short dead-end street 10-plus miles from a town, and there were seven houses in the area spread out on 2.5-acre wooded lots, or larger reach. There were no large wild animals, there aren't bears or similarly large animals in the region, and people didn't meander there or show up lost. Actually, lost folks or large animals wandering around never happened in the 20 years I lived there. So please keep that in mind. When I was a young girl in my early teens, I had a good guy friend a few years older than me who lived next door, Terry. Terry was allowed to go out with his friends much later than I was, and he would sometimes tromp over to my yard after getting home late and throw rocks from the gravel area outside my window to chat. My bed was right next to the window. I'd open the window and we'd whisper stories and generally talk for a bit. My second-story window faced our backyard, and his house was to the side. I could see his house from my window over the shrub trees and walking path to his driveway. I'd often know if he was out. The light was on over the side door entrance, or already home, light was off. One time during the summer when my window was open, I heard a car in his driveway dropping him off. I was probably 14 years old, and it was around midnight. I heard Terry get out of a car and was talking to his friends. Soon his friends pulled away. I softly called out, as loud as I could without waking my parents, asking Terry to stop by and chat. 
He didn't respond as he probably didn't hear me. Then I came up with the not-so-brilliant idea to sneak outside and scare him. I'd spent so many years in the woods and learning how to blend in and be silent. As kids, we'd often sneak around and scare each other. So I silently sneaked down from the second floor and out my back garage door, which led to our backyard below my window, which led to Terry's house off the side through our gravel area, then through a well-worn path through the woods about 25 feet long. My parents had put in a gravel pit around the back of the house, probably because nothing much grew due to the shade of the oak trees. There were 14-inch oak rounds set out as an uneven stepping path in the gravel, and if you stepped off of the rounds, the crunch of gravel and rocks would give you away. I picked my way expertly and silently across the log grounds facing Terry's house. My eyes got accustomed to the dark, and I didn't see him. Also at that time, I heard the door of his house close and the light going off signaling he went in, likely to bed. I waited a bit as I thought I saw something move in the woods between our houses, but not on the path we'd always use. If you didn't use the path, there were wild rose and raspberry plants that had thorns and were painful to walk through if you weren't careful. So I thought it was odd that he'd be in the woods, but maybe he wanted to scare me like I was plotting to do to him. But I saw something human-sized and dark moving through the woods slow and pausing every once in a while like me. It was coming closer, and I definitely saw it. But it was strange in that it wasn't walking directly to my window to talk. Therefore, I hunched down and waited in silence, wondering if I could still startle him. I still thought it was Terry, and he saw me sneak out and he was trying to scare me. I watched a dark outline of a human figure moving but then I would lose sight of it in the foliage. It seemed to be stalking slowly and listening slash checking every few feet while hiding. So I whispered after losing patience one last time for Terry, but he didn't answer. I got bored of hiding and crouching, so I quietly tippy-toed back to my garage door and went back inside, silently locking up as I went. I snuck back upstairs to my room above the area where I was just standing and crouching. My window was open and I definitely heard someone or something walking around that yard. I whispered again for Terry out my window but got no answer. Then I heard someone or something fall and grunt and moan pretty loudly in the window well right below my window. It wasn't enough to wake my parents, but definitely loud enough I didn't mistake it and it sent a shock of fear through me. If you aren't familiar with a window well... It's a semicircle hole connected to the house dug out about three or four feet deep and reinforced with metal. It allows a basement window to be put in below ground level and the hole lets some natural light in. There is no way Terry would have fallen in our window well. We had been playing hide and seek and many outdoor games for years since we were young around the whole neighborhood. We knew everyone's window wells and house footprints, plus paths in the woods like the back of our hands. The grunt sounded humanish and not like an animal. It also pulled itself out quietly without a lot of thrashing. That's when I realized this wasn't a fun game and someone or something was out there and it wasn't Terry. I tried to look outside my window as best I could, but there was a screen on my windows to keep the bugs out, so I couldn't lean my head out the window to see next to the wall of our house directly below me. I then heard the crunch of rocks as whatever it was stepping in the noisy gravel. Again... Terry would know where the log rounds were and would not step in the gravel. He knew my parents were pretty strict, and he was as good at being quiet as I was. 
Whatever it was stopped, and I held my breath. I pretty much sat there with my face pressed against the screen two stories up for probably a half hour. It seemed like an hour, but I'm sure I didn't have patience back then to wait that long. I never heard it, him, her leave, but I grew tired and eventually fell asleep on my bed that was next to the window. There are a few things I'm certain of. It wasn't Terry. I asked him later and he said he went to bed that night when he got home. He also would have no reason to lie. I'm pretty sure it wasn't one of our neighbors and I can't think of any reason a person would be there. We had few neighbors and only two other houses out of seven had kids. Again, these seven houses were spread out in 2.5 plus acres per home. There weren't any big animals in the area. As wooded as the whole area was, we only had some deer, but they were hunted and didn't come close to homes. Plus, our dog scared them away. Stranger in the woods, let's not ever meet. Looking for even more Disturbed? Join us on Patreon for ad-free listening, shout-outs, and Disturbing Calls bonus episodes at patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. Apple users can subscribe to Disturbed Media Premium directly in the Apple Podcasts app. Next up, we have a submission from Mary, featuring voice work by Nicole Doolin, and we meet the Night Shift employee. I work at a veterans hospital in the medical administration department. Our department is located in an old building separated from the hospital. It used to be a nursing home for veterans. The building is laid out like a typical office building, minus a couple small things. My supervisor just retired after 33 years. She was a sweet old lady in her 80s. As much as I loved her, it was definitely time for her to retire. She never missed work and was very dedicated. She would always have months and months of vacation and sick time saved up from never taking days off. She would usually sign it back and donate it to an employee that needed the paid time off due to illness or other special circumstances. Towards the end, her health was declining and she got sick. Then she had surgery. After that, she just was never the same and missed a lot of work. Toxic work environments played a part as well. She wasn't very computer literate and the position required computer skills. We all helped her with stuff because we did care about her, so everything still got done and no one was the wiser. So one afternoon I said goodnight to the other employee and had decided to stay late to complete a task I was working on. The supervisor had gone from not taking any time off to being out for a month at a time. She had been out for about three weeks when this encounter took place. The layout of the office is important, so I'll try my best to describe it. The office is one decent-sized room divided down the middle by high cubicle dividers. They are only about 12 inches lower than the ceiling. On each side, there are four desks and workstations. First and last ones are in the corners of the room, and the other desks are spaced evenly between them. The divider wall starts right at the second desk and goes all the way to the end of the room. There is an aisle down both sides between the desks and the dividers so we can get to the file cabinets and come in and out of the room. The aisle is kind of like a big U. I am in the second desk on the left side when you enter the room. I have a co-worker that I worked with. 
We were going through transition, so several people had been fired or quit. It was just me and the other guy and the supervisor that was absent. He sat on the third desk on the other side. The desks are corner desks, so it has a large surface area. I have my computer on a standing desk base, and it's angled to sit just before the L-shaped corner of the desk. I can see the door and some of the hallway and the first desk on the opposite side. When I'm working on my computer, I can only see out of peripheral vision because my focus is pointed towards the corner screen. This afternoon I was staying late, and my co-worker had left about 15 to 20 minutes prior. I am sorting mail and just in my zone. I see a really tall, dark-haired guy, somewhat slender, come straight in and go to the other side of the office. I just saw it out of the corner of my eye. I was thrown off because my co-worker is tall but has light brown hair and has some meat on his bones. He isn't a heavy guy, but he is larger than the man I thought I saw. Because we have medical records in our office, it is not open to the public, and only those with access or a purpose can enter the room. Even if the door is open, I hear papers being shuffled and what sounded like someone rubbing the metal of the desk. After a few minutes, I called out, You good, Bob? Name changed for privacy's sake and no answer. I say again, did you forget something? Nothing. So now I'm thinking, is that Bob? It really didn't look like him now that I think about it. So now I'm thinking that someone else walked in because they saw a door opened and didn't see me. Maybe he's going through paperwork or looking for office supplies. After I called out, the noise had stopped. I waited for Bob or someone to come back out. Nothing. I stand up and start walking over, not sure who I'm going to find. I stand at the second desk aisle opening and I see no one. As soon as I had turned the corner, I immediately felt uneasy and like someone was watching me. I called out, Bob, one last time. I then started walking back to my seat when I thought maybe they didn't want to get caught and hid behind the back desk. So I had to go look even though I really was very uncomfortable just thinking about doing that at this point. I walk over and down the aisle and peek behind and under every desk on that side. The closer I got to the back corner, the worse the feeling got. Even though I wanted to run, I had to check. Nothing and no one. So I go back to my desk and try to brush it off and finish what I was doing. I was just starting to sort of calm down a bit when I got the intense feeling someone is peeking around the corner at me and a strong hostile feeling directed towards me. It was as if someone was watching me from the other side of the divider wall and wanting me to leave right now. It felt like I was interrupting him at work. Like he had way too much to do to deal with me being there and I should leave. I made it about five more minutes and then straightened up my desk and left. The second I closed the door, I swear I could hear him going through drawers and papers again. For a couple weeks after that day and before the supervisor just decided she wasn't coming back... I would hear it going through her desk and her papers. It would move her mouse and keyboard, move her chair. I am still the acting supervisor and it's been about six to seven months. I hear it way less now than I used to. It still happens, though, during the day even with others in the office. I told the new employees to be on guard if it should happen to them sometime. They look at me like I'm crazy. As I am typing this, the office is empty except for me. I'm about 30 minutes past when I'm supposed to clock out. Her old chair just moved, and her drawer just softly shut. 
That's my cue to finish this up and go home so second shift can get his work done. To the night shift employee, let's not meet face to face. You can stay, but take your beef with me working late up with management. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference. All that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight cisgender white men, and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth, and together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Disturbed. Now, back to the horror. Next up, we check in with Reddit user Winter Sun, featuring voice work by Sarah Thomas. And we have a close call. I was a pretty and relatively smart 15-year-old girl. A good kid who did well in school despite a tough childhood. I was working at an amusement park full-time during the summer. The area I lived in could be sketchy, but having grown up with little to no adult supervision, I was used to trying to look out for myself. My father was out of town, mother was long out of the picture, and my sister, three years older, and myself were staying at our home alone. I finished work at 11 p.m. when the park closed and walked by myself as I usually did. It wasn't far, perhaps 10 minutes. I arrived home. My sister was still out somewhere and I got ready for bed, putting my pajamas on and crawled into the bed. I was starting to fall asleep, but 
heard a small noise. I didn't know what it was, but it didn't seem like a usual house noise. My bedroom was on the second floor with the stairs leading up. I didn't hear anything after that noise, didn't investigate, just chalked it up to nothing. I started to fall back asleep when I heard what sounded like hesitant footsteps on the stairs. I was instantly awake, but in my mind, it was my sister coming home and climbing the stairs where her bedroom was. Still in bed, I yelled out, Wendy? Wendy, is that you? I heard nothing back. I yelled again, Wendy, is that you? Nothing. More footsteps. I was petrified, but as I tell the story to this day, I don't understand some of my reactions that night, so I really can't explain them. I got out of bed, fully opened the door that was ajar, and went out to the stairs, where I stood at the top. Below me, about halfway up the stairs, was a man I had never seen before. He looked to be early 20s, a little taller than my five foot seven. Not a big guy, but solid with blonde curly hair. I asked him what he was doing. His reply was a garbled mess, something along the lines of, where's Wendy? My mother told me not to get mixed up with women. Where's Wendy? From his manner and wild-eyed look, he seemed like he may have been doing drugs. He had followed me home from the park and was asking, where's Wendy, in response to my calling out for her. For some reason, I got very angry, not just scared, and started screaming at him to get out, get out of the house, that I was going to call my father and Wendy, and he needed to just get out. To my surprise, he did. He turned around, ran back down the stairs, and I didn't see where he went after that. But it turns out he must have left. I have no idea how he got in, but he was definitely there for me. That's why he followed me. Not burglary or anything else. He was looking to rape and who knows what else. I think the only reason he left was because he had no idea where my sister Wendy was, thought she was in the house, and it was an added complication to him getting caught. I was so shaken. I stayed up the rest of the night. I didn't call the cops, didn't call a friend. The only person I told was my sister the next day. I don't know why. I just sat in the rocking chair, clutching my cat and rocking and crying, staying awake till the next morning. My sister never did come home that night. She stayed at a friend's and came home the next day. This happened 35 years ago. I never told anyone till now. Get your voice on Disturbed with our hotline, available 24-7, completely free. Tell us your experience or just leave your comments on the show. Visit hotline.disturbedpodcast.com on your mobile device or computer. And finally, we close out the show hearing from Reddit user RBL Child. Featuring voice work by Tanya Eby, and we're stalked by a raging customer. I, 24 female, at the time was 21. I lived in a larger, small city in the Midwest. At the time, I had no car, a bicycle, and hardly enough money for the public buses. I worked at a retail battery lighting and repair store. I worked full-time, 
and only lived a little over a mile from my job. Since I was a female in a male-dominated field, I was often used to target abuse from men that thought that they knew better. Many times I stood my ground and flaunted my knowledge in subjects that these men couldn't grasp. Because of my willingness to learn and my close proximity to work, I often worked all sorts of hours, mostly by myself. This time I wasn't the person closing and had a co-worker, Joey, 22 male, who came in for a part-time shift after he wrapped up classes at the local college. We had a close friendship, and we often stood up for each other, and stood in when we were flustered, or needed to go to the bathroom in the back. Joey received a phone call for a possible repair on a smartphone, possibly LG, low-tier phone though, and he wasn't 100% sure if it was a phone that we could repair. He asked the young female caller to stop by for a consult. She had quickly agreed and said that she would stop by at around 5.30 p.m. This was a night that I was supposed to get done at 6 p.m. and catch the bus at 6.12. It was a windy, drizzly, early fall night. I remember this because I had my bike with, and it became my anchor that night. A little before 6 p.m., this frantic, terrified, bawling 19-to-20-something-year-old woman came into our tiny shop. I was at the counter, switching out aging price tags and general store maintenance. I looked up at her, confused and willing to help. She looked me deep in the eyes, asking if Joey was here. At the time, he was popping in our tiny bathroom in the back, so I had to step in and help out any customers. I told her that he was currently busy, and that I was willing to help her. She handed me her smashed cheap phone, very timidly. My customer service skills couldn't prepare me for what she was going to say next. She quietly told me that her boyfriend, who was out in his red mini truck in the small front parking lot, had gotten angry and smashed her phone when she tried to call her sister that afternoon. I took the backing off the phone and tried to research the model for any possible screen repair. No results found. I tried to hand her back the destroyed phone, and she pushed it back in my hands with a pleading look. Then the honking commenced. There was this light drizzle outside, so our front glass door was covered in beaded drops and was slightly fogged over. I couldn't see who was honking out there. I told her again that I couldn't help and for her to try our cell phone repair competitor down the road. The tears started to really flow down her cheeks and I was freaked out at this point. I shook her with fear and rage at this point. I myself was in a domestic abuse situation at the time and knew what this girl was experiencing. I broke my locked stare at her and tried to look in our system a second time for a replacement screen. Nothing again. I looked up from our computer and saw a shadowy figure of a young man pacing in front of the store. I was just happy that the honking stopped, but I was increasingly shooken up. My whole body vibrated with fear, and I whispered across the counter if she needed me to call 911. She slammed her hands down on the counter and said that I couldn't do that. She begged me not to. At this point, Joey came out from the back and asked me what all of the honking was from. We had a lot of elderly farmers, lazy and disabled customers, that would honk their horns for us to pick up heavy battery cores from their cars. He thought it was one of those situations, but with the looks on our faces, he knew something horrifying was happening. The young guy stopped pacing outside 
and began banging on our front door. Joey took the girl's phone from my hands and said for me to go in the back and lock the back employee-only doors. I did what I was told and grabbed my bag, my bike, and my jacket. I looked at the clock in the back and it read 6.14. I spent 15 minutes with this girl, both of us feeling like trapped animals. Joey did bodybuilding during his free time and was a gentle, non-confronting, short but stocky Asian guy. I was a short, obese, kind lady that would respond either of two ways, like a doormat or ready to stand my ground. I knew that I couldn't fight a customer and neither could Joey, not because of physical reasons. We'd lose our jobs and had no idea what to do. The young guy threw the door open and the wind kept the door open. He had this manic, hateful look about him. A total predator he was. He was slim, but muscular, early to mid-twenties, and was soaked by the rain. He took the broken phone off the counter and took the girl in tow. He hurled insults at us, and I gave the girl a pitied look. He slammed the door back shut, and both Joey and I stood in absolute silence. He snapped out of it and ran to the front door and locked it. I told Joey to call our manager from our store landline, and stood around while he did. I noticed that the guy had moved his truck to directly in front of our door. He was watching us from his truck, watching us behind the counter as we were on the phone with our manager. I had to leave to get home. The last possible bus came at 6.42, and I couldn't pedal my way home in the weather and all of the circumstances that had just occurred. The time was around 6.18, and I just needed to cross the busy highway and down the sidewalk by an eighth of a mile to the nearest bus stop. Joey, the guy, and I played the waiting game. It was 6.23 when the dickhead finally left our parking lot. I told Joey that I would leave at 6.25 so I could arrive at the stop safely. Joey opened the front door, and I threw myself on top of my bike and pedaled harder than I could ever imagine. Now, mind you, our store was in an industrial shopping area at the very edge of town. We worked next to a sub shop and worked across from a strip mall with a bullseye store and a local chain grocery store with other retail stores and a bank all in that large lot. It started to downpour, and as I tried to pull out of our parking lot straddling my bicycle, I caught a glimpse of the red truck looping around the sub shop. The highway had dual lanes each way, and I had to play real-life frogger if I wanted to make it to my destination in one piece. There were a few cars that slowed for me as I hauled ass to the other side of the road. I jumped off of my bike and threw it on top of the curb. I promptly hopped back on and tried to pedal off. My front wheel was stuck in the grassy strip, and my right foot had slipped off of the pedal. My shin struck the pedal and I had to act quickly. I grabbed the frame of my bike and jogged awkwardly to the bus stop. The red truck pulled into the bank parking lot of which I had just passed. The truck pulled around and went out through the entrance across from the sub shop and took the closest lane to me. He went at a crawl and turned at the red light so he could circle the main parking lot of the shopping center. There was three ways to get into that parking lot, one to the left, one in the center, slightly off to the right across of the sub shop, and the other far to the right next to the grocery store. I stuck to the sidewalks, since it felt safer and was in front of people. The truck patrolled the parking lot, the hunter stalking its prey. 
I felt cold, sore, and cornered, just like an injured animal. There was a couple of cars that pulled into the left entrance of the parking lot, causing the truck to stop from re-entering the lot again. I almost collapsed in the shitty small bus stop, and I felt my phone buzz. I saw that it read Joey, so I rested my bike on my person to answer the call. Joey told me that he was watching, and even though he had an elderly couple in the store that he was helping, that he wouldn't allow the guy to hurt me. I started to cry. All of this had just gotten to me. The red truck looped around once again, and again. I saw the bus pull up early at 6.39 and I couldn't be happier. I knew the driver, since I used the buses to get around town, errand shopping, and to get to and from work. I had my stupid fucking bike to worry about. I hung up the phone with Joey, putting my phone in my jacket pocket, and strapped down my bike in the rack that was in front of the bus. I struggled since I shook, and my bike was slick from the rain. I got on the bus and turned to the open bus doors and saw that the truck took a left at the center entrance of the lot. I could finally let my guard down. I sat at the front of the bus, and my hands shook hard trying to get the $1.25 for the fare. The driver said that it was okay, and that I could take my time with the change. I kept my backpack on and pulled my damp phone from my pocket, dialing Joey's number, letting him know that I was fine. In under 15 minutes, I made it to my apartment safe, but deeply disturbed. I took my bike in, so it wouldn't draw any attention to where I lived. All of this gave me an idea to leave my own domestic abuse situation a few months later when COVID took the world by storm. To this day, I wonder about that girl and hope that somebody more daring and stronger than me called the cops on her abuser, that she had the strength to leave that violent man for her to write her own story and to recover from all of it. I'm currently doing significantly better in life and finally have my own car and I live a couple of states away safely from my past life. Even though I'm states away, and it's been three years now, let's not meet. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast, and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Don't forget you can send in your own true terrifying tale. Head over to disturbedpodcast.com slash submit. If you'd like to support the show and gain access to bonus episodes, ad-free content, and early releases, visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. And a big time thanks to all of our newest supporters. Summer Jenkins, Cindy Flores, Alica, Michaela Hamilton, Emily Egham, Keely Wilson, Kevin Plord, T Private, and Cat. Thanks to all of you for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. And don't forget to stay safe out there, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>